Good day there, guys. Welcome back to the Blowing Cartridges podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Zach Clark, joined, as always, by Brendan Tam. Brendan, how are you going on this fine day? Going well, as always, Zach. It's always good to be recording a new episode, and I hope that there's many people listening to this one, as many as the last one, and because I think it's much more enjoyable to listen to people talking about playing video games and actually playing video games themselves. Yeah, listening to people talking about playing games is all right, but I mean, have you ever considered not only listening, but also using your eyes and watching people play games as well, like two senses rather than just one? Oh, I think your eyes are pretty overrated. I've worn glasses for about, well, the last 24 years at this point, and I think you don't really need your eyes to enjoy things. Well, I hope you're right, because the last time I went to the doctors, uh, my eyesight's clearly getting worse based on my uh, my assessment, so I might be joining the glasses club pretty soon. But, as you could probably guess, or maybe not, we are here to talk about the phenomenon that has taken off in the last decade, maybe even longer than a decade now, of people watching people play games on YouTube, Twitch, and all other services uh, around. Uh, and we're very, very lucky to have Two guests today, uh, both from the sort of content-making space. The first one being a friend of ours, Anzu. So, Anzu, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks, guys. And you were very kind to get us in touch with your sister, who's also a streamer, uh, Shino. So, also, Shino, welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, thank you both for joining. Before we kick off into the topics, I thought it'd be good just if you guys want to give a quick sort of summary of who you are and what type of, you know, content you make. So we might start with you, Anzu, if you want to give people a, a bit of a spiel on, on what you do. So I've been streaming since um, November, oh wait, so maybe a little bit earlier than that, but sometime around um, late last year. I'm mostly just a hobbyist, so um, I started it because I've always kind of wanted to try it out, and um, I just kind of play whatever games I feel like playing. So I'm a variety streamer, which um, is, a, is a little bit hard to pick up as a variety streamer, but it's just, it's just for fun. And it's been really fun just chatting with people. So yeah, that's kind of where I'm at now. Um. <laughs> awesome. And uh, Sheena, what about yourself? Uh, I started streaming in about November. Uh, one of my friends got me into it and it's been fun. Just, I, I pretty much like it just a variety streamer as well. I play whatever uh, I feel like. And oh, I'm also a VTuber. Oh, very cool. Yeah, VTubing being one of the more recent sort of uh, phenomenons in the game streaming space, so we're very keen to get your thoughts on that. Um, but Brendan, before we start on the topics, what about you? Have you ever tried making any sort of like, you know, video content for, for the internet, or have you kept your face pretty well hidden behind articles and podcasts? Yeah, pretty much the latter, Zach. Like, I've tried in the past to go down a bit of the video side of things when I was involved with another castle, mainly when we were doing pack streaming. And that but that was more sort of just capturing game footage and that side of the equation, not really videos of myself playing games or the more streaming variety of things, which I know a lot of people have done. Like I know you yourself dabbled in it a little bit at one point and Dave, who was involved in another castle, did as well. But I never quite got there and then I think now I prefer doing things like this podcast freelance writing when it t- tickles my fancy I think that's definitely my space in the creative sphere when it comes to gaming media yeah no that's that, that's that's what I thought you were gonna answer so no surprises there you didn't shock me with a secret uh 
secret uh, VTuber personality that you've been keeping hidden all this time. As you touched on, I think I've briefly dabbled in um, in content creation sort of in the earlier days of, of YouTube Let's Plays and, and, you know, video game playthroughs back in maybe 2009-ish when I was still still a teenager. I made some, like, Let's Plays of Harvest Moon games and stuff because there weren't any uh, on YouTube at the time. Yeah, I've, I've since delisted most of those videos. Um, and every now and then I'll, someone will recognize my, my, my handle and be like, oh, did you hear that guy that made Harvest Moon videos? I'm like, oh. Yeah, I am, but uh, it's it's a rare occurrence, and uh, since then haven't really gotten fully into the streaming, other than a, the occasional dabble into Twitch or something like that, just for for fun. Um, so sort of out of touch with with the landscape now as a creator, but definitely still uh, as a watcher participating. So we might jump into the topic, and I guess the first question that everyone asks whenever you talk about the success of YouTubers, Twitch streamers, is why do people want to watch people play games rather than play the games themselves? Particularly, you know, I find my parents, they struggle enough just to understand why we play games at all, let alone why I would ever want to watch somebody else play games when I have a stack of games behind me sitting there untouched. You know, uh, I might throw over to you, Anzu, what do you reckon? Do you have any thoughts as to why people enjoy watching, you know, either yourself or other content creators online playing games? So when I when I first started streaming, um, I was playing a lot of um, Phasmophobia for one, and I think people enjoyed playing that, uh, enjoyed watching that game because you see the streamer get scared every now and then, like jump scares and stuff like that. So I think that's that, that's kind of one thing where like people don't really want to feel scared themselves, but it's kind of funny to watch other people get scared. <laughs> uh, later on, I guess I was playing kind of uh, different games to that, so I was playing things like Hollow Knight. And I think, um, yeah, quite a few of the people that were watching me play Hollow Knight have played it before. So I guess they kind of maybe want to relive the experience as well. Because, yeah, I think Hollow Knight is definitely like, it's one of those games where you get kind of a shared experience. Like once you know exactly how difficult a boss is to beat, it's kind of fun to actually see other people attempt it as well. Like I, I like watching my friends play games sometimes. I do watch Twitch streams myself too. Yeah, I think it's just this kind of like, yeah, shared experience that you get while watching someone else kind of experience something. <laughs> Go through something. I used the word experience too much. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I think you're definitely onto something though. Because uh, I, I think, I, I don't know if you guys all had the same experience, but I remember as a kid, uh, you might like go over to a friend's house or something and... Um, it wasn't uncommon just to like sit there and watch your friend play a game or vice versa if they come over to your house and you know the latest thing is a, is a single player game and you can't play together you just sit there for hours just watching something or even passing the controller back and forth it's it was a real joy as a kid and I definitely think a bit of that carries over to modern day um you know video content around game playing yeah when I was when I was younger I loved watching my sister play games I don't know if she loved it, loved me watching that much, but um, but uh, I think a lot of my early experience from playing games was actually through watching her play a lot of like yeah the the early RPGs, um, early early Nintendo RPGs and things, and that's kind of what got me into gaming in the first place. Uh, so yeah, so I guess that's kind of my experience. Like I do I do enjoy watching things. Um, nowadays, I probably would prefer to play an RPG before watching someone play it, unless it's something that I'm really not interested in playing myself, but kind of want to see what it's about. I suppose. Very fascinating. What is she, you know, was that, you know, what, what's the hot cost? Were you happy having, uh, you know, Anzu there watching you as a kid? Was it annoying or was it, was that what actually inspired you to, to become a streamer last year? <laughs> how, how do you feel about it? 
Uh, it was fine. <laughs> <laughs> so for VTubing, I think it's it's kind of different. It's not really just about watching people play games. Although I think there is that aspect, but I think that uh, especially the big VTubers recently, the ones that have come out from um, the agencies that are like Hololive, Nijisanji, they provide more of a like a companionship type experience. It's not really like you're getting, you're going in to watch them play games that they're good at. Some of them are actually pretty good at uh, certain games, um, but I would say that in general, that's not the experience that you're going in for. It's more of a virtual girlfriend experience, I think. That's not what I offer, but it's what a lot of YouTubers offer. Yeah, that's that's definitely a really good point. And just quickly before we continue on, for people that don't know what VTubing is, it's I mean, it'd be fair to say it's where you're sort of using a virtual model of a character rather than your own you know face and personality. Uh, and you might be putting on an act, or you might not be. Um, is that is that fair to say? That is a, is a brief description of it. Yeah, that sounds right. Awesome. And yeah, I think you're right though that the personality driven content is definitely the other you know, pillar to why people might watch a game player. Um, I know, for example, I watch, they're not a VTuber, but a lot of game grumps, and I'm not watching it because they play the game well or necessarily because I even know what game they're playing, but just because I enjoy their their banter back and forth and their comedy. Definitely. What about you, Brendan? Do you watch much in terms of, like, personality, you know, streamers or or YouTubers, or is it more you're going in there for the gameplay and to relive some old memories? These days I don't really watch much in the ways of, Street live streaming or let's plays or that sort of content but when i did when i was more in high school early uni days it was very much going to watch those personalities i think that's what really grabs you because at the end of the day i think a lot of people are captivated and watch those content creators because it does feel like that oh you're hanging out with some people you can interact with them on a stream if it's live and you can feel like there's that audience um, participation going on that you can contribute to. So I think that part of the that part is almost probably more important than in many ways the game that the streamer might be playing because I think that's the engagement point more. Like, of course it helps. Like you're not going to go in and watch people play a game that you have no interest in unless you're do oh maybe you will. Maybe it's part of the act. Maybe it's part of the shtick of the streamer. So actually I, I take that point back. But I think to answer your question, yes, I think it does come down to the personalities. I think that's why people watch. People are more... I think if you want to watch raw gameplay, there's channels on YouTube that can do that. There's plenty of channels that there won't be any commentary whatsoever. It's just someone playing a game and you can watch the footage of that. And like I know a lot of people do that as well, but I think there is a... There's something gripping. There's something that makes you want to watch when it's someone that has a personality is larger than life which is a just a good personality no that's that's very true and i guess probably the other pillar that we haven't really talked about that i i feel is there as to why people enjoy watching people play games is is sort of the esports slash sort of the the skill i guess element right where you watch someone do something that you personally mm-hmm. feel you can't achieve or if you maybe you can achieve it's going to take you hundreds and hundreds of hours to get that to that level do any of you are any of you big into esports? Uh, and if so, any any particular games you enjoy watching a lot? Oh, Shino would probably be able to answer this pretty well, actually. So, oh, uh, yeah, I've played Dota for many years and followed competitive Dota two for um, a number of years. So, oh wow, 
And were, were you streaming or just sort of more just following and, and watching it? Uh, I don't stream it. I just played it a lot. And then I, I watched a, a lot of the tournaments. Ah, and what drew you to, I guess, the Dota 2 sort of competitive scene in terms of uh, as a viewer? Was it uh, just because you were playing the game and then you were interested in watching the tournaments? Or did the tournament sort of capture your interest first before really diving into playing the game? Uh, I, I got into the game in uh, in high school, so 15 plus years ago. Yeah, it, it came before watching the tournaments. Back then... There weren't tournaments, so <laughs> <laughs> esports wasn't really a thing in the same way that we understand it today. So it was only when I was in college that it became bigger. So yeah, I think that adds up with with definitely my experience. It was sort of that when I entered uni that uh, like stuff like StarCraft had definitely had its scene, particularly in Korea. But uh, I think in the last few years, the esports train has really blown up in a way that it hadn't in the past. Beyond just being, you know a casual sort of fun tournament amongst friends for like say a smash brothers or something to something that's you know getting millions or hundreds of thousands at least of viewers uh, at a tournament with with many dollars on the line uh brendan what about you are you big into any sort of esports or anything like that or have any views on the industry in general well that is the main content i have watched in the last two three years or so because i got really into watching competitive age of empires 2 there's some great <laughs> There's some great casters on YouTube. There's a few channels that are particularly good. Uh, one's called Zero Empires. The other one's called T90. And like some of them even organize their own tournaments and get with like organized sponsorships and prizes for these tournaments. And that's very much a community driven thing since it is a bit of a niche of a niche, even though there's still quite a few active Age of Empire players because, well, it's a nearly, or it's over a two decade old game at this point. But it's always been one that's been close to my heart, as I think I've mentioned on this podcast in other episodes. And I think what I find captivating and enjoyable about it is, like, it's good to be able to see people play with a skill level and a skill set that, well, I personally will never be able to match. Maybe it's a mix of um, I don't have the time to put into the game or that, like, just at the end of the day, I'm never going to be as good as some of these people. But you learn the different strategies, you, like, even through their gameplay, you learn the different personalities again. I think the personality section of that is important because you're not hearing the players actually speak when they're playing unless you're watching one of their streams. You can still you get a sense of what they like. You get a sense of how they play, and I think that's enjoyable in itself. You know, I tend to agree. Um, I think for me, this the eSport, and I don't know if it's technically an eSport, but I, I think it is, uh, that I watch the most is like speed running, mm. uh, which I kind of equate to like track and field almost, like, you know, going for the fastest time. And that, you know, it is just crazy to see these people who have truly mastered a game to the level of, you know, minute inputs just to get, you know, one or two seconds off their, <laughs> of their best run. And, uh, you know, with games done quick recently, just finishing up, uh, that's that's the sort of time of year that I really tune into like a Twitch or a YouTube and really watch through a ton of that kind of content. Anzu, it sounds like you you're also potentially into speedruns based on. That. Oh, oh, I do, I do definitely like watching speedruns. Um, but also I I do like watching. I was just going to say that um I definitely like watching esports more when I've actually played the game and I can kind of understand mm. how difficult it can be to to be at that level. So that's why I, I was going to say I do I do really like watching Hollow Knight. Um, videos myself. Uh, that's not that's not competitive. Ah, oh, sorry. But um, oh, it could be though. Yeah, or speed run, or just good skill, right? Yeah. But yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. So if you if you're talking about skill, anyway, definitely me, me watching Hollow Knight. Like I watch people who do you know the crazy boss runs at the end, which I just don't know if I'd be able to put in the effort to do. 
But at the same time, um, like another game that I think one of the games that I kind of started watching on Twitch the most at the very beginning was probably CS:GO. Mm. Because I, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't play FPS very much, but I dabble around in it from time to time, and just watching how crazy accurate they are, it's just cool. I just, uh, I just find it really interesting. And uh, Shino actually bought me tickets to go see a Dota tournament, I think a couple of years ago or something. And she kind of explained what the heroes did, um, what like each of the heroes' moves and things as as we went along. Like whoever was playing on the screen, she was like, "This hero does this. This hero does this." And kind of like knowing, like having that information made it like a lot more enjoyable. So kind of knowing exactly what's going on in the game and like you know how well people are doing things, I suppose. <laughs> that is a really good point because there's two things I want to quickly touch on. First off, I I I watch a lot of competitive Pokemon as well, and that is a a quote unquote esport that is very boring if you don't know <laughs> what Pokemon do because like you can't appreciate. Like, oh, they've selected this move. Why is that a really clutch move in this moment? Unless you understand the minute mm. aspects of the competitive scene. But it also brings me to a topic that always comes up with not just esports, but just, you know, video games in general is like, oh, will they ever be bigger than quote unquote, you know, real sports, you know, physical sports that we see? And I have to admit, you know, while I should be the, the video game guy being pro, yes, esports are going to become the, the biggest thing ever. I think what you touched on there, that that element of not knowing how the game works is more detrimental to video game, you know, watching from a skill perspective than real sports. Because while I might not know the rules to lacrosse or, you know, something like that, I can at least appreciate like, oh, that person is running and throwing a ball with a weird stick much faster (laughs) and harder than I know I physically can because I just know how hard it is physically to move my own body (laughs) because I'm very unfit. Yeah, what do, you, what do you guys think? Do you think that's like a the internal barrier that video games might never really surmount from, you know, being able to overtake physical real-world sports like, you know, the Olympics are on right now, even if maybe something like Dota is always going to be bigger than, you know, curling or maybe curling was a bad choice, but, you know, a much more obscure sport that gets very little viewership. I might throw to you, Brendan, to start off that conversation. Well, I think I'd, I'll probably disagree with you there, Zach, because I think... Ultimately, video games, I think, have the potential to get to that point because you can watch something like, let's say, Rocket League. And if you're watching someone play Rocket League, you can quickly figure out what's going on that, oh, yeah, there's these cars and they're trying to hit this ball into a into a goal that's similar to soccer. Oh, yeah, I get it. But yes, you might not necessarily understand the the technical side of it. You might not understand, oh, like, I understand how they're controlling the car and the inputs they're using. but I think that's similar for a lot of professional sports that people get absorbed with and uh, and watch. And I think also the other side of the comparison is that for a lot of professional sports, a lot of the really diehard, hardcore fans are people who have played the sport at some level. It might just be sort of backyard cricket. It might have been on a high school team or a community team, but they do have some experience with the sport to a to a lesser degree. And that's why they... Uh, interested in watching it at a professional level and I think that's what esports at a gaming level is getting to that a lot of people who watch your Dota 2s and your League of Legends esports professional tournaments are the people that have have experience with it have played it and yes you do get some people that don't have experience with the with the game but I think for the vast majority it's the people who know what's going on that are really excited about it and I'd argue 
that's the same with your footy, that's the same with your rugby, that's the same with your AFL, and that's the same with your really niche sports at the Olympics, like your modern petathlons and your shooting and all those events that are very niche in itself. And unless you yourself are a hobbyist shooter, you're probably not going to really care about watching it at the Olympics. Well, I, I, I think it definitely would be a barrier for a lot of people. I mean, I, I definitely get Brendan's point as well that some people are just not going to be interested, but some people might be. I guess I haven't really thought too much about the, the long-term kind of, like, if, if esports will actually become kind of uh, integrated into society as, as, like, normal sports would be. I haven't really thought that, that much about it, to be honest. But I definitely feel that it, it could be a barrier, I think there are also other barriers, though, to to esports kind of becoming really big. Like, there's still kind of, still kind of a little bit of a stigma around um, video games sometimes. Mm. Uh, a lot of people that I've I, I meet in daily life and things. So that's probably I feel like that's probably going to be a bigger barrier. Awesome, Chino. Do you have anything you want to add to the conversation? Uh, so about you mean esports and whether it'll become bigger than real sports is the question. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, it's hard to answer unless you really, unless you are specific about what you mean by bigger, because, uh, do you mean viewership or like price pool or like whether it's mainstream or what do you mean by that? It's a really good point. <laughs> it's a bit of a, a nebulous metric, I suppose, uh, bigger. Sort of multifaceted, like probably all those points are relevant. Okay, well, then, I mean, I think that, for example, League World should probably be already one of the biggest sports tournaments in the world. I think the peak viewership is something like 40, 40 million for the finals. Mm. Or what? I don't know. Five million? Many millions. <laughs> Many millions. It's like on on par with the Super Bowl, if I'm not wrong. So isn't it big? I believe it is, yeah. That's a good point. You know, maybe maybe, maybe I'm in the minority <laughs> here in terms of my, my view on it. But um, no, you're, you are right. There is definitely, particularly it's League of Legends, is, is probably the front runner, right? at the moment at least, uh, in terms of viewership. And it is quite intense in terms of how many people both play and watch it. And I think probably that, you know, stems from as to to the earlier points made. Given it's a free-to-play game, um, there's probably just so many people that have jumped in and played a game of League, uh, or if not League, a, another MOBA, since so many MOBAs are free-to-play and can sort of jump in and watch quite easily after messing around with it a little bit uh, themselves. So... I think that certainly helps versus like a, I don't know, Age of Empires uh, that Brendan brought up where you got to pay to play uh, and has that slight higher barrier to entry. Okay, so so you said you, you disagree that it's big, so... Oh, I don't disagree that, that it's big, sorry. It... Oh. Uh, let me clarify. Do you mean more from like sort of a mainstream perspective, Zach? Like, for example, your nightly newscast isn't going to talk about esports for the most part unless it's sort of a novelty segment of the news. Yeah, a little bit of that. But also, I guess, I think a lot of people look to stuff like, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe you're right, maybe maybe League of Legends is already getting higher viewership than any sport in the world. But I, I probably look at, if I have to pick a sport that is the, the peak of, of people watching it, it's probably football, soccer, depending on what part of your world, right? That, that's probably one of the biggest viewerships. But but maybe maybe uh, you're right. I, I don't know the statistics at this point around who many people watch the World Cup in, in soccer. I think it's a lot, and I'm just not sure. You know whether, uh, and, and I guess the other thing is like if you look at the way society can like get behind those events, right? Like when the World Cup's on, like so many people who don't even watch you know normal f- soccer 
get involved and they watch it. Whereas with esports, I don't find your average person jumps in very often unless they were already watching the scene, you know, like maybe people like us who are like, oh yeah, I play a little bit of, um, say, Pokemon for me, right? And I only really watch it when the world tournament comes on. That's where I get the most involved. But like my neighbor isn't going to watch it because Pokemon Worlds is on, but they would maybe jump in and watch the song, you know, FIFA World Cup, or they might watch uh, the Super Bowl. Again, a lot of Australians, I find the Super Bowl is getting bigger and bigger here, even though very few of us would have played, you know, American football at all. I just don't know if we'll ever get to that point where it's as easy as, as anyone can sort of jump in, watch and understand it, unless they have had at least a little bit of time with the game or have somebody really talk them through it in quite depth versus again like if i look at the olympics today right there's so many sports i've never played but as i said i can at least appreciate again the physical element and that's why that is impressive and interesting for me to watch i know that was a bit of a ramble i don't know if that made any sense couldn't you say that people couldn't get into sports such as chess and other sports that don't have a physical element and they're only cerebral? I agree. Yeah. So is that is that is that basically saying that the problem is not unique to esports, but it's uh, unique to any competition that is arcane and has difficult rules and cannot be understood? <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> Does it have anything to do with it going mainstream? Because I feel like that's just a question of whether culture is changing quickly enough and you're saying that you know we won't see it on the evening news right now but i mean in more recent years we kind of have we have seen we have seen esports getting reported in the news and stuff especially when that particular country's athletes or whatever gamers have won a tournament that's big so um i, I think that you're just talking about um, whether culture can change and of course it doesn't change quickly but it is changing you know as the rumors <laughs> die out no, i think you you <laughs> You hit the nail on the head there, actually. Yeah, chess is a great example because that's that suffered for years of the same stigma that uh, I think video games have, and, and probably still has a stigma. Chess, I, I haven't, other than the Queen's Gambit. I mean, I haven't paid too much attention to the competitive chess scene. I don't know if even watching that counts, but um, you know, very very good point, and I, I think you've you've all thoroughly um sort of getting me on board with the idea that one day uh you know we'll be watching video game tournaments that get as much cultural praise as uh. As, uh, as we said, the Super Bowl or, or some other sport tournaments at the moment. I think you just have to look at, for example, StarCraft was one example that you used. Star in StarCraft, like, the tournaments were mainstream. Like, they were not just a nerd thing. Like, StarCraft in Korea alone was, like, very, very mainstream. Like, they had the, the gamers doing, like, ads for soda and stuff, mm. I think. No, yeah, there no. were sort of sponsorships and promotional, sort of like, things. Yeah. And there was news, those sort of TV channels dedicated to tournaments. And it, you're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, like, it, it, it has happened in the past. It just hasn't happened in the mm. West yet. Maybe it won't, but it's it's entirely possible. I don't think that it's impossible. It's definitely a much bigger thing in the East, yeah. You know, that is true, yeah. Like, South Korea in particular has that massive, uh, I guess, almost stereotype about how much, you know, they get into, yeah, against, used to be StarCraft. I think probably these days they're more into the, the League of Legends and Dota, the same as, as many countries, I suppose. StarCraft's an interesting one to actually talk about, and what I'm going to pivot to doesn't have to be necessarily about esports, but it can be actually about gaming content creation, and uh, keen to get your thoughts again as, as variety streamers. Uh, but if I look at the life of StarCraft as an esport, it faced its challenges as it transitioned from you know Brood War to StarCraft 2, and then obviously the expansions of StarCraft 2 coming out. 
Uh, and I see that a lot with other games where, you know, like, say, Smash Brothers, right, where it's never quite fully broken away from Super Smash Brothers Melee. Yes, Smash Brothers Ultimate has its place, but whenever, I guess, a new game in a series comes out, there's this challenge to people who have that game as their core element of whatever content they create, whether it's, you know, let's play videos, whether it's just streaming it on, on Twitch casually or as a competitive or, you know, hardcore skilled player. That always seems to to pose a, a make it or break it kind of moment for those, I guess, communities. Is that like a challenge you think that is going to and I cause like certain streamers to sort of rise and fall? Or do you think there's a there's a point where you hit where it doesn't matter what happens to the game that you play if there's a game that you identify with that you can sort of carry on forward and and continue to be i guess a a successful content creator and and just sort of flex uh in the direction you need to go i don't know who wants to start off with that one or if you don't understand the question i can try and (laughs) repeat it because i I know i rambled a little bit there yeah so this is something that uh, me and my friends talk about quite a lot because it's like it's sort of something that depends on the streamer and in a sense it's kind of like whether you're lucky or you're skilled enough to pivot so a lot of streamers whether they're youtubers or not will get their start playing a a particular game maybe they're very good at it whatever maybe they're like an apex and predator or a predator and apex sorry (laughs) but then are they you know once that game starts to you know its star starts to fall and it's not as uh popular anymore if they want to keep streaming they usually have to find another game to stream and um, not everyone manages to do it, but some people do, and they sort of uh, successfully transition to being a fully variety streamer. It sort of, it's partly, I think, depends on the pers- the strength of the personality, whether you are just an entertaining streamer, regardless of what game you're playing. But it's very common to see a viewership drop when you change games, and some people try to uh, ameliorate this by playing another game in the same genre. So let's say that you were really good at Apex or whatever, maybe you play the next hot FPS that comes out. Or whatever they're called, um, battle royale. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna pretty much say, say the same thing. I think um, a lot of that, like once you, like if you do get big on one game, it can be pretty hard to switch to another one. Um, and yeah, like I was, yeah, I was definitely gonna say that. Kind of just go back to what I think Brendan was saying before as well about the personality and whether people are coming to your streams to, for you or for the game. <laughs> If people enjoy chatting with you and you know sometimes i think a lot of people actually jump into streams just because they like the streamer yeah. right they might not even be paying attention to what's going on in the game <laughs> so if you can kind of get to that point where if you have good enough personality and you can kind of draw people into just you then you can play whatever you want and it'll probably be fine <laughs> really just to echo what's been said because i think ultimately it is very much dependent on the streamer themselves and yes some of them are can be particularly flashing the pants because they become quite well known regarding a particular game but then a lot of those ones that then get a big enough profile they'll be able to pivot to other games and they carry over their audience because at that point it's more about the personality than the game but I think the, the good the ones that manage to do that and manage to build up a big audience do start with that first the appeal of watching them initially is oh I'm interested in Fortnite for example and oh I know that Ninja is a big Fortnite streamer. I'm going to go watch him. And then you might decide after a couple of days of watching Ninja that, oh, yeah, I like watching him play Fortnite, but I actually like him as well. Like, I'm just going to be more of a Ninja fan than a Fortnite fan now. And I think there definitely is that aspect to it that a lot of the success a lot of these people find, they they definitely leverage the 
or the hot game or whatever the hot game might be at a particular time. They leverage that and then they run with it and build an audience out of it. I think that's the those are the ones that manage to make careers out of it. Well, from sort of an outsider looking in anyway, that that's how I see it. You know, I think you've you've all hit the nail on the head, and I think it that adds to a really good point to transition to talking about you know how one would goes about building up that community, building up that viewership base, and some of the challenges I suppose as well. Not only in doing it, but like you just. I guess the people you encounter both in your Twitch chat or comments or whatever you're platform you're on, Anzu and Shino, you both just said that you sort of just started last year. It's sort of hobbyist still at this stage, I think, for both of you, if, I, if I'm not misremembering what you said at the start of the show. Have you found, like, you know, having a community start to form around you? Like, is there regulars that join your streams that you're starting to get to know? And has there been any sort of key issues or challenges you've faced as you've sort of built that sort of group of people that watch your, your streams? Uh, yes. Yeah, so um, I think a couple of the things about like building a really good viewer base, one like, you know, kind of not being, not playing too many different games, but also kind of like being really consistent with your streams, like have a proper schedule and everything. Like those kinds of things really help build your viewer base. But yeah, I mean, in my own experience, I have uh, had regulars come back. And that's kind of what's made the experience fun for me as well, because, you know, I'm kind of just here to chat and then, you know, the same people kind of jump in um, every time I'm streaming and just have a bit of a chat with them. But yeah, I think generally, I think there are quite a few people who are regular for while I was playing a certain game. And then once I stopped playing that game, they never showed up again. Um, <laughs> so it definitely is like a bit of a challenge there. <laughs> so I do have regulars and they're great. Um, I think one of the biggest challenges is that I think it's maybe not the same for non-VTubers, but definitely for VTubers, there's a lot of, like, I don't know how to describe them, extremely annoying viewers who <laughs> will come in and they expect a certain type of kind of behavior from VTubers, so they will say things like, can you do the the ara ara voice or whatever, you know, can you sound like an Onesan or whatever, stuff like that, and it's it's quite it's quite annoying when you're trying to make it not necessarily as a VTuber who is doing sexy voices for people to jack off to but <laughs> as a streamer so and then having to like kind of craft the the culture that you want your community to have i know that's like a really loaded word but just basically trying to craft the community that you want is is not that easy but i think that it's not a problem that's unique to youtubers yeah i mean that was really where i was gonna probably be my next question was how do you deal because i mean there's if we look at some of the big streamers, you see so many toxic people in, in their in their comments. Um, whether it's jealousy, whether it's um, people just do that thing for fun and they just pick a random person to pick on. And, and unfortunately, I think even smaller streamers and, and YouTubers aren't free of that. There's just people out there are mean, right? Or, or if not mean, uh, as you said, they just push for certain things that you don't want to have as part of your content because that's not what you're there trying to create. Have you, have you dealt with that, I guess? Have you had to have any sort of specific conversations with those people or do you just ban them or what, what sort of your go-to strategy have you found the most, you know, best, I guess, for dealing with anyone you don't want in your Twitch chat or your or your comment feeds? Uh, it depends on the streamer, I think, because there's some people who for whom any kind of interaction is good. It doesn't matter whether, you know, they're disrupting your stream or they're really annoying or... Everybody else in the chat hates them. They don't really care. As long as you are interacting with them, those streamers are happy. So for those people, they, they won't even bother trying to get rid of those. 
disruptive influences. And so there's a lot of YouTubers whose Twitch chat is like an absolute cesspool. It's like unreadable and you can't deal with it at all. But for me, I just ban people. You don't even, I don't even bother talking to them. Like on my end, like I honestly haven't had that much bad stuff happen in my chat so far. I mean, I'm definitely like a lot of a smaller streamer than Shino. So generally, like the people that jump in have actually been all really friendly to me. Um, <laughs> so I actually haven't had any issues with it so far. But I, I definitely do feel like if I started to get more followers and started to actually make this more of a regular thing, it would become a problem. And I think I'd probably go the same way as Shino. I just banned them. Yeah. <laughs> I reckon that's the right choice, personally. So yeah. <laughs> pull out that bad hammer and smash it down. Out of interest, that. Uh... Shino, I mean, one thing I'm curious about, because obviously you've chosen the, the VTuber life, and one of the benefits I see of that when that became a big thing was, uh, obviously we've seen a lot of news stories in the last, I don't know, five, ten years of people getting doxxed or, you know, SWAT teams called to their houses and that kind of stuff. And I, I guess it shows the risk of being an online personality that people do sort of try and track you down. And I think VTubing is a great way to try and keep anonymity up there so you're a bit safer and not as a higher risk i suppose that was that a factor for why you wanted to go the vtuber route or was it more just that seemed appealing to you and fun to do yeah i don't want people to see my face so that was uh i don't think i would stream if i uh, otherwise if i didn't have an avatar i don't think i would stream but i i don't necessarily think that being a vtuber really protects you from being stopped either because like i don't think that people Regardless of whether they're using an avatar or not, I don't think that people are careful enough with their online presence. So it's not just like whether you talk on the stream about stuff you do or not, but like people just people who have their public Facebook accounts, people who post photos of themselves on Twitter, etc. Like you can very easily be doxxed from that. It doesn't matter whether you're a YouTuber or not. So no, but is that something like I I've thought even just doing this podcast? Not that this podcast has got us uh, hundreds of thousands of viewers or anything yet. But, you know, the idea if I ever became a public figure, I, I often think about, like, what do I have out there? What do I not know that I've, I've posted or forgotten about that I did at the age of, like, 11 or something um, on, on a RuneScape forum that might come back to bite me? Have, have you guys been worried about any of that and thought, like, oh, do I need to, like, do a, a thorough lockdown? Or uh, is that a more of a challenge that you'll, you'll face if it and ever it, it arises, I suppose? I think, like, along the way, like, I've... Even before I started streaming and things, like, I removed a lot of, like, old things that I posted, um, on Facebook and stuff like that. But, I mean, at the same time, I don't, obviously, I don't, I don't reveal my real name to my streamers or anything. But you reveal your face. <laughs> well, I do reveal my face, yeah, but, well, I don't know. I mean, I do know that there's some risk to that, but, and that's why I've also, I've also considered VTubing as well. Like, I've, I've talked to Shino about this, and I think if I, if I really wanted to make streaming, like, a, more of a, a serious thing. I'd probably end up going the VTubing route instead. And yeah, it does worry me a little bit, but hopefully I'm not important enough at the moment <laughs> for anyone to do anything to. <laughs> um, I've been pretty careful with my online stuff for many years, so I don't post pictures of myself online. And um, I have different identities for different services, so I go by different names when I'm doing my... So I'm like active in anime, fandom, fanfiction communities. I use a different name. But when I'm playing games with my friends personally, and I have a different name from my VTuber, so uh, none of those identities are technically linked. That is very smart, and I wish I had the foresight to have done that many years ago. <laughs> I used to moderate a, a large Reddit for female gamers, so I was exposed to that kind of stuff from very many years ago. <laughs> so it makes me more careful. Yeah, no, I can, I can imagine it would. 
Brendan, what about you? Have you ever thought about what happens if this podcast or one of your other adventures blew up and you became a, a high profile personality? Um, has that ever worried you about like, or, or given you've, uh, I don't know if you want me to say this, but you've dabbled in political, you know, sort of uh, elements in your life. Um, was that already a consideration for you of sort of keeping everything on lock and, and fairly, um, you know, safe in terms of what you put online? Definitely. I think I've always had that voice at the back of my mind that thinks, oh, should I, if I post this, like, will there be any ramifications down the road? And I guess, that's generally probably a sensible thing to do. I think it's good to self-moderate, particularly in toxic spaces like Twitter can be. But I think it definitely very much is a consideration. Like, there's not really much an anonymity on the internet. Like, like has just been discussed, it's very easy to track people down if someone is keen enough to have the ability to do so. Like, there's not that much safety of your digital privacy and digital protection at the end of the day unless you use lots of things like VPNs and do sort of a hard block on on things. But I think, which is possible, but I, I think my view of it is just if, if you're careful, if you post things that aren't controversial, if you, if you stay cognizant of the fact that it is a public arena, I think you're fine. It's, it's when some people get a bit lax or they, they think, oh, yeah, it's a private conversation or, oh, I have a locked Twitter account. It's not going to get out. But the fact is, it, it generally can still get get out. So it's definitely just ha- taking those considerations into account. You know, though, I, I tend to agree. Yeah, I kind of just assume that anything I put online is going to be findable, even if I've got it behind some sort of locked account. So that's one of the policy I'm taking, and hopefully, a lot more people start thinking about uh, again what they put up there. But to get back to the content creating and the streaming, one thing that I was also uh curious about i suppose is how you guys decide when to stream versus when like nah i don't want to stream this i just want to play this for my own enjoyment how do you pick because I, I i find if i was to jump into streaming i'd really struggle to not just stream every game that i'm playing all the time versus uh just playing it for myself or with my friends casually well for me like i've kind of liked playing like streaming games more when I don't care about backseating or or I've already played the game before, so backseating doesn't matter. There are quite a few games that say, well, so I started playing Pokemon Snap the other day, and the new Pokemon Snap the other day, and I was kind of, I, I thought about it, I was like, maybe I could stream this? But at the same time, I didn't want people like kind of yelling at me to, to take a photo of this or take a photo of that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the same with the other game that I also just started the other day, Zero Escape. I think with puzzle games as well, like I kind of want to have that experience, some some of those experiences on my own instead of um, talking to people while doing it. And yeah, that's just kind of like my experience so far. It's kind of would I would I want to chat with chat with people while doing this or not? <laughs> yeah, that makes makes a lot of sense. Uh, Sheena, what about you? How do you pick and choose what to stream versus what you're just going to play by yourself? I try to, so I, I have different kinds of uh, ways of kind of looking at content. Um, there's Ones in which I think the game is more center stage, so games that have an interesting story, games that have interesting gameplay, I'll try to put them, I'll probably do maybe a couple of them a week, just to share them with the community. And then there's also games where I think the gameplay is not that interesting, but it's a it's a kind of good backdrop for just chatting with the stream. So for example, um, Power Wash Simulator, it's a game that came out pretty recently. It's quite fun. It's a, you power wash. Is that a car wash? Stuff. <laughs> Stuff. 
yeah, like houses and cars and stuff. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I just put it on in the background while I'm chatting with the stream. Yeah, I don't... There's certain kinds of games that I, I wouldn't want to play on stream. Those are games that are very reading-heavy. There are games that are require a lot of my attention, so I'm not able to interact with stream at all. I don't play those games on stream. Yeah, that, makes, that makes a lot of sense as well. Um, and Brendan, obviously we don't create uh, video content at all ourselves, but in terms of if you were to, I guess with certain games choose to watch versus play them i might throw you that question so you know i remember when uncharted came out uh or last of us even a lot of people i know chose to watch that rather than play it do you ever think i'm gonna watch this game and i'm not gonna buy it or i'm gonna buy it and have it sit in my shelf unopened but i'm gonna watch it <laughs> instead of playing it is that ever a consideration you make in terms of you know your choices or are you mostly now nah, i want to play the game myself at least first before i observe someone else playing it if I'm interested enough in the game, I probably want to play it and experience it for myself. But then then again, there are particular games that I think work well just watching someone else play it, like Heavy Rain, for example, or any David Cage games. I think those are suited to watching them because they're very cinematic. They have many film qualities to it. And yes, there's sort of some points in those games where it is a bit of choose-your-own-adventure. You can have branching story elements and the like. It still is entertaining to just watch someone play it and you can do it while you're relaxing and doing something else at the same time. And I guess for the most part, if I do watch streams or watch the um, YouTube videos of other people playing video games, it's very much in that sphere of, oh, I need to do something else so I don't have enough time to play the game myself, but I want to still do something gaming related so I'll pop on someone playing a game and go at it. Just to quickly pivot back on the previous topic regarding choosing what to play, I think, yes, we don't create content, Zach, but I very much felt that when we, well, when I reviewed games, it was involved in that sphere of content creating of how do I divide my time up between oh, playing the game I'm supposed to, or quote unquote, supposed to play because I need to get this review out, or, oh, it'd be fun to play some Picross, or it'd be fun to play like something else at the moment, and I'll go do that for a bit, but then sometimes you'd feel guilty and think, oh, like, yes, I'm enjoying playing this game, but I, I need to play this other game for content creation review purposes. So there, I, I do understand that so there's that duality there that sometimes when you're a content creator, it can feel a bit like work and there's parts to the gaming hobby that is a lot more about, oh, you just want to play something and tune off and relax for a bit. I think that's kind of been the biggest barrier um, in terms of streaming for me, uh, especially because like, yeah, I definitely didn't want it to feel like a job. I definitely didn't want it to kind of take my enjoyment out of the games, which is why, yeah, like I've I've switched between games a lot. Like, you know, I've started a game on stream and then I've just, you know, stopped playing it because I didn't feel like it anymore. But that's definitely not the way to go if you want to really make it big, I think. So, uh, yeah, so that's pretty much the biggest barrier, I think, to, to, to streaming for me. Out of interest, is it ever tempting to jump on, I guess, whatever the bandwagon is of the time? I mean, obviously, whenever a big new game releases, a lot of people make content about it, or sometimes it's not even a new game, but obviously Among Us last year was massive uh, in the online space. Is that often something you're enticed by, or you're able to go, nah, it's not the kind of content I want to make, and I'm not going to participate in that? Well, I mean, for me, at least, that there are definitely some games that just I just probably wouldn't really get into. I mean, Among Us was pretty fun. Uh, I played quite a bit of that last year. And I think Phasmophobia was one that I definitely did get into because it was pretty big on Twitch. But I didn't get into it because I thought 
people would necessarily enjoy the content. I mean, I think I think people would have, especially probably in the earlier days when I was actually getting jump scared in the game. But I think at least for me anyway, um, it's still kind of a lot more about will I actually enjoy playing this game or not. <laughs> I think horror games are interesting as well because I know even if it's not streaming, I'm way more likely to play a horror game with people watching me or around me <laughs> than, than I am by myself because I get too scared. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I think um, it's probably, yeah, you, you feel a little bit less alone when there are people watching you and then they can laugh at you and stuff. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not a big horror games person. Phasmophobia is probably like the only proper, the only one of the only horror games I've ever really played. But uh, I actually saw Shino playing it a couple of times and I was like, this looks pretty interesting. So I gave it a try. But yeah, I don't really jump too much on the bandwagon. So definitely more for the, more more about the fun for me at the moment. <laughs> Awesome. What, what about you, Sheena? Are you ever tempted to jump in on whatever the, the flavor of the month is? Or? No, never. <laughs> Stick to your, to your integrity and go, yep, nah, <laughs> this is what I want to do. Affinity no, going to make me do otherwise. Yeah. I think the people that get me to play games that I'm like not really that keen on are just like actually people that I've met through streaming. They're like, you have to play this game with us. I'm like, mm. <laughs> and eventually if they, are, if they try hard enough or like sometimes, sometimes they've bought me the games. And then I'll go ahead and play them. But otherwise, I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think there's always going to be someone who has a strong opinion on why you should play something or something else, um, or watch something or read something. Everyone's always got their favorites, and they think they're better than what other people are doing. But um, you know, it sounds like you both stand pretty resilient to that kind of commentary, which is good. One thing I was also curious to get everyone's views on is how we think streaming and video creation of gaming uh content has changed the way games are made and or, or do we think it's not really changing the way games are made uh you know we had last year uh one of our friends mess who worked on ring of pain and he specifically worked on a part where he integrated twitch you know chat uh elements to to their game which i thought was very interesting so uh, i'd be keen to get your thoughts on do you think there's a trend of games trying to factor in Twitch into how they're structured or you know what sort of features they have uh, and how you're seeing that manifest from what you're observing? There's actually some uh, there's actually some games that or some companies that don't allow you to stream, stream their games on Twitch. I know there's been big debacles with uh, like Atlas and Persona uh, when that comes out and yeah. they're like that was that was exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> And even Nintendo's been funny. Yep. And then there's just companies <laughs> like, well, when Apex Legends came out, they were heavily sort of recruiting streamers to stream the game and try to build up a community through that way. So I think in some cases, there's not, there might not necessarily be many games that are designed differently to account for streamers, but I think for many cases, developers and publishers will try to leverage streamers as a, as a way to build an audience, as a way to get people to buy and play their game. Yeah, those two examples that you just brought up between the two of you, Persona versus, like, say, an Apex Legends, I mean, I think the obvious thing I look at there is Persona is a story-heavy game and has a f- it has some branching elements, but is sort of, I guess, for the most part, linear when you think about the core story, at least, versus Apex, which is a multiplayer game and obviously, um, I guess, is trying to convince people to jump in. Do you think that's the key to finding element versus whether a publisher or, or a developer is, you know, pro you streaming their game versus versus not? Um, or is it more just one company has a very, uh, you know, let's say archaic way of viewing things versus another, which is trying to be a bit more progressive in the space? Do you think it's the 
in terms of like say atlas uh saying we don't want you streaming the game versus ea saying paying people to stream their games do you think it comes back to the type of game it is like a single player story driven game versus i mean probably i i'm not sure yeah i think it it very much does depend on the publisher and the game in question because as you said there'll be particular or story-based games or single player games where the publishers are a bit more i guess possessive of their ip and they they only want it to be perceived in a certain way so they'll try to control the messaging and how it's depicted whereas other publishers particularly indie publishers publishers and developers see it as a net benefit of oh this is a good way to get an audience this is a good way to get people in whereas your atlases and nintendos well they have established bases as people that are going to buy their games hell or high water so they don't really have to worry about that so they can try to control and lock it down a bit more and i think that's what they try to do i think that's like sega atlas that's what they're interested in doing they think oh we don't want people to be spoiled by it yet we we trying to drive sales we we think that people watching people play the game means less sales and otherwise which i guess is another topic and i think is very tenuous and arguable that it does in fact impact whether people buy the game or not but I think that's sort of the heart of it, that some publishers think that, oh, if we allow everyone to stream at Open Slather, it will affect our sales, and other ones think the reverse of, oh, if people stream it, they're more likely to buy it. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty much spot on. I mean, the actual economics between whether it loses more sales versus gains more sales is probably still up in the air, and we'll probably one day have a lot of very lengthy marketing and research papers that, that explain which way it goes. Um, but I think, yeah, definitely from a personal perspective, I've known people go both ways. People who watch a single player game get played and that still entices them to buy it and play it themselves. And I think that definitely helps if it's got branching paths, like you sort of mentioned earlier, Brendan, versus people who just, yeah, they'll watch, you know, Uncharted on YouTube and then they'll never actually pick up the game. Uh, yeah, I think it'll take some time before we know as who, which, which type of person outweighs the other in, in numbers. But, uh, I think, at least going forward, most companies have definitely been more progressive towards embracing streaming and content creation. Because even like, as we said, Nintendo were pretty archaic about it a few years ago. And these days, they're much less strict, I suppose, on on their, their rules and guidelines once a game is out. So I think that trend will probably continue. So I think one thing that's really interesting in the streaming space is right now, Twitch is, I'd say, the, the, the dominant you know, platform, right? I mean, we had Mixer rise and fall, you know, try, try to get up there by buying Ninja out and a few other prominent streamers. Facebook Gaming's doing its best and I don't know how successful it is, but it's trying. And then obviously YouTube has a streaming component, but still seems to be the go-to for video on demand, but not necessarily for core streaming activity. Is that a good thing, do we think, that Twitch is the go-to place for watching streams uh, and that people just know to go there if they want to watch a streamer? Or would we prefer to see a, a more variety in our, I guess, choices for being, a, you know, streaming games that in, a, in a viable way, I suppose? Keeping in mind, I guess, Twitch is owned by Amazon, ultimately. What's the question specifically? You want to know... I guess, is it a good thing that there's a one core place that people go to to watch streams? Why would that be a good thing? Well, I agree. It's, it's, it's not, but I'd better to ask a question. Okay. Than just make a statement. <laughs> so you don't think it's a good thing? Well, 
it has its pros and cons, right? So I guess if we think about it, we're having Twitch as the core platform. The good thing is, I guess, it could help you grow your fan base because you might show up in a recommended, you know, field or like, you know, people might, I can't forget what the term is, but you know, when people um, uh, at the end of their stream, they might say, go check out this random person. Uh, Rating or hosting and stuff. Yeah. So there's, there's some benefits to having it all centralized into one core platform, but I guess the key concern, as if we think more business-minded, is it's a, it's a, it's almost a monopoly on on the streaming space, and sort of I guess increases Twitch's power to make or break uh, individual streamers' uh, careers, or they could change the algorithm one day and things all change, or just the ad, ad revenue breakdowns. I mean, they have a lot of a lot of control over everyone that is trying to stream. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm just keen to get what people's thoughts are. Like, I mean, I guess you guys both stream on twitch am i correct that's your your primary platform yeah that's correct and i guess i yeah happy happy with twitch or would you be open to swapping if a if a well, uh, so i i'm a little bit confused because the question is kind of predicated on the idea that twitch is going to be the dominant streaming platform for like many years to come or something uh, i'm not even sure that i fully agree that it's the the best one right now so <laughs> So um, I don't know. Uh, yeah, it it has a lot of good features, and YouTube I think also has a lot of good features. So I, I think that they're pretty decent competitors right now. What would make you choose Twitch over YouTube, for example? Right. So I think that right now, uh, one of the one of the really irreplaceable things about Twitch is the the community. Currently, community of course is a very nebulous thing. It's not you can't buy it. It, it kind of grows organically, right? And so the fact that Twitch started a lot earlier than something like YouTube and in terms of streaming has allowed it to build up this really great community. I mean, it's full of idiots too, but there's a lot of um, great people there. The, the culture <laughs> of it is, is nice and it's in some ways. And so I think that's a, it's a, that's a big positive that YouTube also has a lot of uh, other problems because it's designed around sort of a video on demand kind of service. The discoverability for live streams is very poor. Like, let's say, let's do an experiment right now if you have the time. Open up YouTube and show me how you look for, let's say, VTubers that are live right now. <laughs> as an example see whether you can do that in five minutes great question mm. you probably can't because it's it's very it's, there's yeah. no there's no button that says uh show me you actually have to go into like advanced options and <laughs> select the live thing and then search for vtuber and then you may get some of the vtubers who are live but not all of them and so and that's just because i think from youtube's perspective they don't really differentiate between live content and pre-recorded content which i think is kind of a mistake on their part if they're trying to compete with twitch actively but i mean maybe they just feel that over time they're they'll be able to cannibalize enough of twitch's audience that it doesn't matter the things that are good about youtube on the other hand is that the so i don't know if you know but twitch vods disappear after like two weeks they're deleted and mm-hmm. or like two yeah. two months i think if you have amazon prime linked to your twitch account so your vods just disappear I think it's one month. Is it one month. Yeah, it's like some amount of no. If you have Prime, it's a little bit longer. But I I have Prime. Yeah, okay. Oh. I I thought it was like three months. Did they change it? I don't know. Seems like all of my vods have disappeared from. I see. So um, yeah, past twenty five days ago. So it's like some amount of time they'll disappear. Obviously, that doesn't happen on YouTube, which is great. You know, never having to worry about your vods disappearing would be really nice. And then one one other big thing that YouTube has is kind of like, uh, it's encoding on demand. So. If you're not a partner on Twitch, you don't get 
to your viewers don't always have the option to change the resolution of your stream. So if you're streaming at 1080p and their connection can't handle it, uh, screw them basically. But on YouTube, they offer it for everyone. I didn't know yet those minute differences. But I think if I look at the first point you made, the community, that's very nebulous, but also, as you said, very, very strong on Twitch. And I think it's probably why a lot of people jump to Twitch as their first thought. If I'm going to stream a game, I go Twitch. It, do you reckon that's something that YouTube has a strong chance, or if not YouTube, another platform at some point could have a strong chance at actually significantly cannibalizing? Because I look at, again, Mix is the big one that I think about that came and went where they they put a pretty valiant effort, like, again, financially. I don't think out. they tried long enough. You, you can't make a community in, like, a year, you know? And I think that YouTube is lacking a lot of the things that would allow a community and like of that sort to form. For example, the emotes that... In Twitch, they have global emotes, and you can also, if you're subscribed to a Twitch user, um, your emotes will carry over to other people's channels. On YouTube, they have no such thing. The emotes are, like, only on that channel where you're a member, so... It loses a little bit of that community feeling, I guess. And also Twitch raids, obviously YouTube doesn't have that. All the channels are really isolated. When you have channels that are isolated like that, how can you form a community? Yeah, I feel like if YouTube really wanted to make it, like, be a real competitor to Twitch or something, they'd probably have to have, like, some kind of separate section for this kind of thing. Like, YouTube gaming or something they like that. They had one. They got rid of oh, it. Oh, they did. Oh, okay. What, what happened? <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, I didn't actually know about that. They got that. rid of it. And was that, was that supposed to be Twitch? Like, kind of like Twitch? I, I guess that was supposed to be a Twitch competitor, and then they rolled it into the regular service as a hmm. option that you can put on videos. This video just happens to be live. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that was a that was a good move on their part. <laughs> yeah, like if I look at YouTube right now, my my sidebar, you got like you know YouTube Music gets a prominent feature, but you got to scroll pretty far down where gaming live, uh, and then all the other subgenres are all all pretty buried. Yeah, yeah it's just, there's such a huge mass of content on YouTube that's not gaming related as well. That you know, it's it's, it's going to get mixed up in your feeds if you try to go onto YouTube unless you separate it somehow. I do find it interesting though how, and I think it probably just speaks to what they both do well but like how we have this you know content creators sort of split their they live stream on twitch but then they go to youtube to upload all their their you know videos on demand after either ripping them off um off their twitch channels or, or just recording them locally at the same time this sort of split platform approach to their content creation is that something you guys do you, do you have like do you put any videos of demand on youtube or another platform or are you just sort of completely housed within twitch at the moment yeah, I have a YouTube channel. I actually have multiple YouTube channels. <laughs> I'm completely housed within Twitch. I, I yeah, I, also because my also because my face is there, I suppose I don't really want all those videos to be there forever. Probably be it could it could it would might actually be different hours of YouTubing. I might actually yeah, do a YouTube channel or something. Shino, um, is there some limit on when you can put the view the the vods up for streams from Twitch? If you're a Twitch affiliate, you're not allowed to have the videos on an- any other service for 24 hours. Something like that. Yeah, I guess that kind of makes sense. But that's not very long, really. But what, effectively, it's a problem because you're not allowed to stream to multiple services at once. Yeah, so ah, that's, that's yeah. the main thing, yeah. So you can't stream to... Yeah, I think with other streaming services, you can. I don't think there's any conditions on like streaming to YouTube or anything that will stop you from streaming to other, to other platforms. Okay, yeah. Yeah. But with um, Twitch, there is. But only if you're a Twitch affiliate. Right. I guess that's their way of trying to keep it all on their platform, right? Like trying to control it to stay localized on Twitch. I guess the other 
big thing when we talk about policies, not necessarily by Twitch or YouTube, but I guess forced upon them and how they then deal with it is the whole, you know, um, copyright claims, DMCA element. Uh, and I guess that fear that, you know, like YouTube has the big one, two, three strikes, you're out kind of issue. I'm sort of talking about like copyright strikes. Like, you know, if you play uh, Blink-182 on your stream and you get, you know, a strike for it and uh, risk getting banned, is that like a, a big fear or concern that you, your channel might get taken down at some point because of hitting too many strikes? Or how, how do you guys feel about that component? Um, I don't really think about it. I have played a lot of different songs on my channel and it's got it's gotten the VOD muted, but I have never gotten a strike. I think my channel is not big enough and nobody cares. So I'm not really worried about it. <laughs> on YouTube, they have a different system where whereby if the publisher has a deal with YouTube, then... Uh, your your video will just get demonetized, and any proceeds from the video will go to the publisher. But they don't actually give you a copyright strike, so your account doesn't get in trouble. So the YouTube, the system on YouTube is better, in my opinion. What about you, uh, Anzu? Do you have any? Do you, do you think about it at all, or it hasn't really been an issue for you yet? Uh, I mean, like, um, I definitely haven't um, gotten a strike yet. So same as Shino. So I've played, like, I do occasionally play like a song or two, and I have gotten like the VOD muted at times. Ideally, yeah, like I think I probably like to be able to play more music without that fear often it's not really clear what is okay and what's not um so in the end i just don't really end up playing anything but there are also um apps and things that will let you play music that is completely copyright safe so that kind of thing that kind of thing would be fine but i just don't know any of the music i don't really feel like (laughs) going through it to find something that i want to play and yeah i mean at least it doesn't seem too easy to get to get a actual strike when like you're this this small streamer, but it'd probably be a much bigger problem if you were a big streamer. Well, it's interesting to see that I guess that duality between the, the size of your channel and the likelihood of getting a a strike or a claim. Because I definitely feel YouTube is because it's basically a robot doing it. It'll hit you no matter what size of channel you are. Brendan, I might just throw to you. Obviously, again, don't create the content, but I think you've probably read or seen a lot of prominent journalists or uh, YouTube creators sort of comment on it jim sterling is one that i uh have seen a lot talk about it do, do you have any views on i guess the the spaces it stands now with these rights to music rights to the games rights to you know whatever it may be that could get people you know have their entire library of content they may taken down in an instant uh if they they breach an issue one too many times i think it's a very tricky space when you dive into it because on the one hand there's the idea of fair use and ultimately you're creating your own content. The other side of it is, well, you get into the world of IP law and, well, in some cases you're monetizing you're monetizing a company's product, but then again, you've bought that product. So where does the line actually, where do you draw the line really? I think ultimately, I think publishers and developers would be smarter to just embrace it. I think the ones that do embrace it benefit a lot more than the ones that do when you come from a gaming perspective in terms of music i think that's just a very very murky world of music rights and which has always struggled with piracy since the early 2000s and now you have streaming services that have to pay royalties and like that's a very that's a much more murkier proposition to dive into but i think when it comes to gaming publishers and developers i think it definitely some of them, especially Nintendo, are a bit overzealous in cracking down on streamers and cracking down on content creators when I really don't think they're really benefiting from 
cracking down and quote unquote protecting their IP. Like if you're talking about people who use Nintendo intellectual property to make like merchandise they sell on, then yes, that makes sense to crack down because that's in, that's directly infringing copyright at that point. But if you're if you're making your own creative endeavor, I think that should sit outside of that. Makes a lot of sense. All right, we might start to wrap things up. So. To, to sort of start to get towards the end, I'd be keen, both Anzu and Shino, to know, you know, you've been streaming for a number of months now, uh, and obviously you both seem to enjoy it going forward. What do you think, you know, is the next sort of steps for you in your streaming? Is it just keeping it, doing what you're doing now and just sort of seeing where it takes you? Or do you have sort of any grand plans that you want to try and envision and enact on your various uh, channels or, you know, places where you put your content up? Just doing it for fun. <laughs> yeah, I think on mine, I'm still still definitely just doing it for. I'm actually taking a break right now because, honestly, with yeah the lockdowns happening here, it's been very hard to get into routine with anything. Mm. So I've I've been taking a break for now, and I'm kind of waiting for everything to kind of calm down, and um I'll start again. But I think maybe something that I'll do a little bit differently when I do start again is try and be a little bit more active in creating that community. Like I I think the the kind of community like. So kind of one of the best things that I've experienced through streaming so far is kind of meeting other meeting other streamers and finding people to play games with actually. And I've got quite a yeah I've I've developed well I've I've built quite a good community of like other streamers to play games with. And I think but I think I didn't really do didn't really work so hard on like the actual community building with my viewers as much. Like I did have yeah viewers that weren't that weren't streamers coming in and stuff, but I think like you know using using my Discord more and things like that, like kind of properly trying to engage um, the people that jump in because you know if they click the Discord link, they probably want to chat with me. But <laughs> I wasn't very good at actually actually keeping up with that. So yeah, I think that's probably something that I like to do a little bit differently. At least engage with the viewers outside of the streams a little bit more. You know, I think that's definitely one of the more fun elements of, of probably the Twitch space. I think also, I don't want to like brush over your earlier point about taking a break because I think that's that's really important for any aspiring content creators to to recognize when you need to take that break, both mentally and just for yourself. Because I think you see a lot of people go all in with their three week, twenty four hour, seven sort of subathons and and that real sort of hustle culture that can come behind <laughs> content creation. But you've always got to look after yourself first because if you're burning out, the content's probably suffering as well and um it does nobody any good if you if you you suffer from that perspective so a good reminder for people to take breaks when they need to on their channels yeah i mean i it definitely got to a point where i realized i just didn't really feel like doing it anymore mm. so that's why i decided to take the break but i do think i want to i'd want to get back into it um sometime soon and kind of maybe now now that i've had some experience with it kind of take some lessons from before the break and maybe do things a little bit differently maybe try to be a little bit more consistent um, with the schedule because that's also going to be better for my real life <laughs> as well. <laughs> and um, yeah, just engage a little bit more <laughs> with people who don't um, play games with me. <laughs> well, we might wrap it up. And with that, I might throw to you guys, uh, and if people do, you know, when you come back from your break, where do people find you uh, on Twitch or Twitter or wherever you uh, want to promote your stuff? Yep. Um, so yeah. So my Twitch is Anzuaki. So that's A N Z U A K I. I haven't really gotten 
uh, very active on, on other social media sites at the moment. I do have a Twitter, which I think is Anzuaki Gaming. Uh, so again, A N Z A K I Gaming. But I have really haven't been using that at all. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's where you'll find me. Awesome, and Sheena, how about yourself? Where where would you like to be found? Uh, for anyone that's listening to this, and what I do not wish to be found. <laughs> you do not wish to be found. All right, so anyone, <laughs> good luck if you if you are going to try and find uh, Sheena's VTubing content. <laughs> All righty, and Brendan, how about ourselves? If people want to find us, they obviously have found us to some extent, but they want to engage with us more. Where would they go to do that? Well, Zach, they can go to many. Uh venues to find us they can go to our twitter account which is at blowcart pod they can go to our facebook account which is similar but it's also blowing cartridges podcast they can contact me on twitter at tamazoid they can contact you on twitter at egarino they can go to our email address and send us an email blowing cartridge at gmail.com or most importantly you could go on apple podcast and you could leave us a review you can leave us a five-star review because that's how we grow our audience because I think we definitely, while we're doing this as a hobby, while we do this because we enjoy it, we definitely like getting more views and we like to grow our share of the virtual pie. So definitely tell your friends about the podcast, tell us how we can improve the podcast and, uh, yeah, onwards and upwards. No, 100%. And, uh, you know, who knows, maybe one day we'll create our own uh vtube personas and do this live uh maybe not anytime soon but but maybe uh, in the future if that's the way things are going which definitely certainly seems to be the case so anyway anzu shino thank you so much it was really really insightful to have your perspectives on things um particularly given we haven't delved into the streaming space ourselves and all the vtubing space as well that was very interesting to hear some of your thoughts behind that so thanks for thanks for coming on the show thanks so much for having us yeah no problem until next time, uh, stay safe, everyone, and we'll we'll see or you'll hear from us on the next Blowing Cartridge podcast in a couple of weeks. Yes, you will. Cheers. Keep your cartridges clean, as always.